Hi, this is Charlie, and this is the podcast uh, to hell and back. Um, and uh, it's from Northampton, Massachusetts, on the 21st of November, the evening before Thanksgiving. And uh, I thought of canceling for this, but um, but I didn't need to. And I just thought it's just sort of a habit from childhood to stop doing things Wednesday afternoon. But I just wanted to continue to do this. So I want to get out to you um, more about emotions and emotion regulation. Um, going to be a little extemporaneous here. I, I want to cover a bit about emotions and then jump into what the skills are in Marsha Linehan's DBT skills manual uh, in the module called Emotion Regulation Training. There's just a ton of um, things there. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to get about halfway through them today and uh, do more next time. Um, let me just start by um, talking about emotions a little bit more. Um, yeah. So I can't remember if I said this already, uh, that uh, just as an example of a kind of a simple one, uh, simple but powerful, uh, and not atypical, and it, it exemplifies some things. So that I th uh, if I did tell you this last time, please forgive me, and it's the same one, but hopefully to make some different points, this example, because it was so memorable that a few years ago, many years ago, when I was doing a DBT training, uh, and I came home at the end of the day with my good friend Cindy, who was training with me, we came into my garage at my house, and there was a bear in the garage, a large black bear, uh, apparently the mother bear, because there was a black bear cub right next to her, and they were going through our garbage can. And uh, we were just having a perfectly good time. We're walking along, and suddenly I see that. And it, the emotion went through me like a thunderbolt, uh, as they sometimes can. It was just instantaneous. And... Uh, I, my, from head to, to toe, I was just electrified. And I uh, turned, as did Cindy, and we ran out the door. I, I was doing it completely automatically, no consciousness of it in a sense, in that I have no memory of how we got from the garage back into the car. Of course, it wasn't far, but I mean, within less than a second, we were sitting in the car and locking the door to the car because we all know bears can go and uh, open door handles. Um, and so there we were just breathing, just trying to catch our breath. Um, and all of that happened so fast. So that was an emotion, right? That was a, a, you might say, a pure example of an emotional response of fear to a prompting event or trigger of a bear being a few feet away. Uh, and by the way, rising up uh, just before he ran, the bear, the mother bear, rose up on her hind legs, which was even more scary. Um, and thank God for emotions. I mean, just think if I didn't have fear. If I didn't have fear, I still would have looked there, seen the bear, quickly made a calculation based on everything I know. And decided, no, the consequences of remaining in here right next to this bear are potentially I'll be attacked. And therefore, uh, let me 
turn around and get to the car. And I could have done that, and I might have, it might have wasted half a second uh, in that processing of that in a rational way, but my, the emotion completely took over. You'd say I was 100% in emotion mind, saving my life, at least as I experienced it. Not that black bears typically kill people, but it was sort of a scary situation, especially with the cub there. Um, so you could say that I didn't have to be very vulnerable going into that. It would have been a shock to anybody. There was a prompting event. I was aware of the prompting event. I instantly ran, because, and that was just conditioning. It didn't require a lot of thought. But in addition, I'm sure, rather quickly, I had the thought, uh, oh, my God, it's a bear. Uh, a bear could kill me. Uh, I could be attacked. And all of that probably went through my mind. And then, um, you know, I quickly experienced it from my brain to my autonomic nervous system, my fight-flight nervous system, into the metabolism in my body and probably the injection of hormones going on right away. Um, all kinds of probably immediate sensations and uh, immediate channeling of blood uh, away from my inner organs to my uh, skeletal muscles. All kinds of things that happen on an immediate basis based on uh, the activation of an emotion like that. And then the expression of that emotion was purely to run. And uh, I don't remember if Cindy saw the bear as quickly as I did or whether we encountered the bear at the same time. But let's say, for instance, that maybe she was a little behind me. If she was and she saw me turn and maybe shriek or something, then also I communicated emotion to her, which also activated her nervous system along with probably seeing the bear. And th there we were. So you see a kind of a complete activation of, of, a, of an emotion uh, there. And you see the function of that emotion was to save my life. Um, and we're going to get back to that because uh, in this module, it sort of goes over some functions of emotions because sometimes when we don't want our emotions, we wish we could get rid of them. We wish we could have some kind of lobotomy to get uh, certain things cut in our brain so we never experience certain unbelievably painful and stuck emotions again, um, it can help us to grasp what the function of an emotion is, what the functions of emotions are, and that they do exist in us because they function for certain purposes. Uh, rapid fire communication, rapid fire motivation, um, and they tell us signals to ourselves so about what's going on around us and inside us. So very important thing to uh, have preserved in the human race and uh, helping us each get to the next generation. So I want to tell you that first because that lays out a model, and we're going to come back to this model with a little bit more detail. And the model helps to open up lots of possibilities for how to change emotions. Um, next thing I want to, uh, to say about heading into this is uh, – I don't want to overstate the idea of regulation of emotions. I actually think they're strange two words to put together, regulating and emotions, because regulation often gives this sense of control and rules and regulations and so on. You know, we regulate uh, all kinds of things in our, in our lives, uh, and uh, some things are a lot simpler than regulating emotions. Um, and so, uh, but I, so I want to say also that 
most emotions that most of us have most of the time um, take care of themselves, so to speak. It isn't like we have to learn techniques or tools. We have them in us the same way that we have tools in us for healing our wounds. If we get a cut, our body immediately goes to work to heal the cut. And, uh, and we don't have to learn any techniques there. Sometimes it helps to know a few things if the healing isn't going well. And that's the same idea with emotions. We sometimes need these techniques and need rules and, and, and guidelines and things to do, skills to do, um, when emotions, you might say, aren't healing themselves. But usually they do. And if they're, especially if they're given three things that a patient of mine just the other day said to me, he said, you know, for him to get through his emotions and deal with his emotions, which are sometimes intense and painful, he said he really needs three things, time, space, and some validation from another person. And he's found that, you know, most of the time, pretty much all the time, those conditions will allow him to kind of come to terms with what has arisen in him. Uh, because isn't that what it is? Emotions, strangely, they occupy us. I mean, seen from an experiential lens, just subjectively, what happens Compared to other things, like when we have a thought, we sometimes direct a thought, we sometimes can control a thought, we can turn a thought on, we can turn a thought off to some degree within limits, but quite a bit. We actually can discreetly do things about our thoughts, regulate our thoughts, so to speak. We can do that about our actions. We can regulate our actions. We can say, I'm going to do this. No, I'm not going to do this now. I'll wait and do this in 10 minutes and things like that. And we can take action deliberately like that and regulate our actions. Our emotions are a, are a different animal. They emerge in us. They arise in us. They penetrate us. They permeate us. They suddenly, there's an emotion. Suddenly fear rockets into my entire being. Suddenly sadness can take over your entire being. Uh, every cell of your body, you know, everything that's going on is taken over, like hijacking by an emotion and so they emerge and they just come in and they um, might take over with more subtle emotions they don't necessarily take over but they make themselves felt um, in in our bodies and in our minds and um, and so but but the thing is regulating emotions is part of the job is sometimes emotions just arrive in us like an uninvited guest in our house you know we invite in some thoughts we invite in some some actions maybe, um, again, within limits. We sometimes get thoughts that we don't want to have. Um, but they're often emotionally driven thoughts too. And so emotions kind of come. And um, there, it's hard to lie about our emotions. If you look at our inner experience, our inner body experience, an emotion is there, sometimes subtly and sometimes more firmly. Um, so once it's there, then regulating emotion is um, just not like regulating these other phenomena. Just one second. Because we're regulating something that's more like um, weather, like regulating the climate around us. Outside, except this is the inner weather, or regulating um, a fog that's come and occupied us. Um, Sorry, as you hear, I have dogs here at the house, and they must see somebody outside 
walking near the territory of the house. Um, so I just wanted to make that one point about uh, how emotions take care of themselves if they're given the right conditions and uh, how they're different than thoughts and actions. And one more thing, before going into the specific skills of the emotion regulation module, in one of the more recent podcasts when I talked about distress tolerance skills, there's a whole category of distress tolerance skills called reality acceptance skills. If you listened to that or if you know these, this uh, whole package of skills, then you know about that. And in some ways, reality acceptance skills might be, if I had to have one skill for regulating emotions, it might be um, one of the, uh, or all of the, uh, ra- the reality acceptance skills, perhaps radical acceptance. Because, um, again, going back to what my patient said about time and space and, and validation, if you can allow an emotion, what I'm calling an emotion right now, which breaks down into a lot of different ingredients that happens almost simultaneously, but an emotional process, let's call it. If you can allow an emotional process to happen in you, as if you were so sort of standing aside, as if you were in the balcony seat and your emotion was center stage, and you're actually just sitting there, and you're actually just standing aside there, and you're actually just allowing an emotion to occupy you and to go through you, that's probably the best thing you can do in most cases. Uh, there are cases where that's not going to be enough or it's not going to work, but it's really just being aware that there is an emotion happening in you and give it time. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh at one point talked about uh, trying to take care of your anger the way one takes care of a crying baby that's crying. You're holding your anger, um, being mindful being aware of your anger, being accepting of your anger while it's in you, even if you don't like it. Um, and he said it takes time. He said, uh, you know, it's like baking a potato. You can't put a potato in the oven and one minute later you have a baked potato. It takes 20 minutes. And so maybe it takes 20 minutes to um, bake your anger or to um, uh, maybe it takes a day. Maybe it takes a few hours. But what it but if you can let it be, in a sense, unimpeded by having to do anything about it, by exaggerating it, by suppressing it, by acting on it, by communicating it to people prematurely before you've kind of like digested it and taken care of it, um, you know, all of those things then interfere with just sort of processing anger or processing another emotion or a hybrid combination of emotions, which is often the situation we're in. Um, So just wanted to say that about radical acceptance, and there's really a package of things, all of which you can apply to emotions, and uh, and they set the stage for emotion regulation. That's radical acceptance from your soul outward that you are ashamed, let's say or radical acceptance that you are angry, or that sadness has come in you and taken over for a while. Um, and if you can allow it to, your body has the capacity to, to, to sort of fix this um, the way it has the capacity. If you allow a wound to heal and give it the right conditions, a wound will heal itself to the degree possible with some limitations. And there's the skill of willingness the reality acceptance skill of willingness, 
which is really just letting yourself have this emotion which has entered into you um, and being willing to go with it and to do what's skillful and to do what allows it to play itself out uh, unless you have to immediately do something about it. Um, and this, the skill of willing hands where, that we went over in Regality Acceptance where you're having a terrible emotion, let's say, and you're tightening your hands up and you're tightening your body up and you're tightening up your whole, you might say, your whole self and you open your hands and have them face up to the, uh, up to the sky and you hold out in a sense that says, I'm willing, okay, I'm willing to have this emotion now. Uh, I can have this emotion now. And the similar practice of the um, half smile of allowing your face and your neck to adopt a serene position uh, with no tension, opposing tension, and just allowing it. To, all of these say allow, allow, and then there's a final skill in the reality acceptance, which is mindfulness of thoughts that are passing through you. If you can mindfully let the thoughts pass through you without suppressing them, without exaggerating them, without doing anything about them, uh, even if they're painful thoughts. And I'll re remind some of you, if you've listened to the podcast before, you may remember, uh, and it comes to mind again right now, the time as a child that I saw a dentist that used hypnosis to uh, for pain management. And he just hypnotized me and then said, okay, this is going to be painful when I do this thing in your mouth now and uh, you will feel the pain, um, but it won't bother you. And it's kind of like that. It's like having willing hands to pain, uh, half smile to pain, uh, allowing pain, noticing pain without clenching up about it. Uh, doesn't make the pain any worse. It can make you feel kind of vulnerable, but it's, it doesn't worsen the pain. In some ways, tightening up worsens the whole experience of the pain. So, there you go. A few things. Um, now, I never do this, but I just want to put in a plug for a movie I just saw last night because it, it has, it's like a study of emotions um, of the three main characters. Uh, it's called Wild Life. Wild Life. And it's a little family of three, a boy and a mother and a father in a little town in Montana. And things are falling apart for the family. The father is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And uh, he's brilliant in it. And there's um, a woman um, who plays a mother. I think her name's Carrie Mulligan. And then there's somebody who plays the, the boy. And uh, things are just falling apart with both parents. And the kid is trying to cope with this. And it's just, a, in some ways, an excruciating movie. Uh, watching how this all unravels and unfolds. And, and yet what's brilliant about it is that there's no great, incredible action in this movie. It's really a character study of this, uh, of this pure little period in their lives of coming apart. And, um, and what you see, if you watch carefully this movie, is the, the number of emotions that cross through their bodies and their faces and in their words and in their tones of voice and how subtle it is, um, how subtle it is for the woman to, to be expressing in the context when her son is present. So she doesn't want to say too much, but you can just see she is processing the experience of uh, frustration towards her husband who doesn't have a job and he's going to make a decision that puts them all at risk. 
and uh, she does he doesn't have a job and he's uh, and so she's angry about that and she's and you can just see in the inner face and inner voice and 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 inner body that she's also just deeply saddened disappointed in what's going on uh, and she's trying to energize herself get herself uh, going and uh, and she does get herself going but then she takes her anger to another level and uh, and then he gets uh, he 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 finds out it, it's just I just recommend it highly in, in response to thinking about emotion regulation it was a brilliant movie um, so let's see what do I want to get to you um, when you get into the emotion regulation module um, you know, I said this, I think, last time. This is a module about how, how to live with your emotions, how to make yourself more resilient with your emotions, uh, how to tolerate your emotions when they are in you, uh, rather than having to shut them down or, 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 or redirect them too much or uh, exaggerate them too much or do anything about them. Just kind of like thinking of emotions that the wisest way we can live is to have the capacity when emotional experience enters into our bodies to allow it to be and not and not allow it to take over our overall direction you know you still go to work in the morning even though you're having certain emotions and maybe you need an extra minute or five minutes if possible ten minutes to just walk or sit and just allow the emotion to take place in you because it won't be forever and if you just give it the time and space and allow and allow it to move uh, it'll help you regulate during the day and stay on task with other things you need to do um, otherwise you might need to call in sick to work you might need to act in a way that jeopardizes your your effectiveness at work and things like that but so it's a it's a big deal being able to do these things um, so when we get into this module, the first big category um, has to do with uh, understanding our emotions and naming emotions and understanding a model of emotions. And that's mostly what I'm going to cover today because it's a big deal. It lays the groundwork for everything else that comes in the module. If you understand emotions objectively, what are these things that occupy us nearly every hour of every day of our lives I mean if you step aside from them and say what is this and where is it going and what is it doing and why is it here and how can I understand it in an organized way because it has a lot of elements in it it isn't just a feeling um, then then you're set uh, with many different options for how to transform it change it redirect it uh, without having it disrupt your life so much so um, the uh, I told you if we if we talk first now about what are the functions what do emotions do for us what are the functions of our emotions um, you know Linehan breaks it down into three categories and I, then I would invite you to make subcategories or so to speak or just you know the interesting thing is that you you can't know what to do about an emotion just because you know the name of the emotion it's different in every case Let's say you have fear. There's the fear of the bear in the garage. There's the fear tonight or tomorrow of cooking a turkey and being afraid it won't come out the way you wish. 
there's being afraid of a, of a relative when you get together for Thanksgiving because it's somebody who has hurt your feelings in the past or done worse than that. Um, in other words, fear as one term covers way too much. So you really have to pay attention not to the term itself, but whatever the individual instance is of an emotional event, um, not all episodes of fear are going to have the same function. And not all functions are going to fit neatly in these categories, but they are extremely helpful. Because Linehan says uh, emotions can do three big things for us. One is to activate us or motivate us. It certainly activated me to run out of the garage. It might activate you to say something to a relative. It might activate you to not say something to a relative, to make sure you don't say something. Uh, fear about the turkey might, the function of that might be to help alert you to doing, to following all the correct guidelines and instructions. Um, there really is often an activating function for an emotion. It leads you to turn right. It leads you to turn left. It, it leads you to avoid things or to approach things. Um, and then there's a, a second function is to communicate uh, to another person. So the first one is just to activate yourself. Uh, emotions do tend to get us to do things. Uh, when we're ashamed, we do certain things. When we're sad, we do certain things, etc. But they also communicate in a way that's um, parallel but different to the typical communication system of just speaking with somebody about your thoughts. Um, they, they communicate through your face. They communicate through your tone of voice and through the speed with which you talk. And they com communicate through your body language and through your actions and through your words. So you communicate. And what do you communicate? You communicate a million things. I mean, subtle things. For instance, in this movie I'm talking about, you see a character study of this uh, cl close-knit, tiny little family and, and how they're communicating to each other emotions that they sometimes wish they weren't communicating, but emotions are, you know, they have their own lives and they communicate. They communicate annoyance. They commu communicate tolerance. They communicate such subtle things. And when they do communicate, um, the function might be different in, in most different instances, but often emotions are there because they communicate. And then the third thing is they communicate to, to oneself. Another way of putting this is that in, in an emotion, when you recognize an emotion that you're having, um, there's information in that emotion. There's information maybe for someone else if you're communicating it to someone else, but there's also information in it for you if you can read your own emotion. Like, let's say if you're uh, sitting somewhere in a group of people and you're the first one to smell smoke in a room and you, because you have a keen sense of smell, and, uh, and, and you notice that and, and then you, you have, to, you don't even know that you've smelled something yet, but you experience fear in your stomach, in your gut. You have a gut feeling of something, or maybe there's a person that's causing fear in you, but you didn't know that and you don't know why. And what you know is that your stomach tightens. What you know is that your heart quickens. Uh, what you know is that you just have a certain feeling or sensation or a perception of, of, of a change. And that is the uh, tip of the iceberg of the emotion. And that emotion, then, if you notice it, 
it has information in it. It can communicate to you. It can say, hey, there's something dangerous here. There's someone dangerous here. Pay attention. And actually, that's often what it what it does, right? I mean, we communicate to ourselves. Sometimes I, when I work with people that say, oh, they're very rational-minded people, it's often a, a man that I'm working with that just doesn't get it about emotions, doesn't really see the value of emotions, and and yet, you know, shows evidence of having emotions. And sometimes they can get interested for the first time when I say, look, emotion, you're missing out on a lot of information. I mean, you believe in rationality and you believe in information. There's a lot of information when you have this feeling. This feeling is speaking to you in its own language. You have to translate. And we'll talk some about how to, how to translate it. So um, there's the function of communicating things to yourself and paying attention to that. Now, why is this useful? It isn't just academic. It, it, does, it, is, uh, it does fit with uh, research on emotions. It comes from that. But it's also really useful personally because um, if you're trying to figure out, um, if you feel caught in an emotion, let's say you're really angry and your anger leads you to feel resentment and, uh, and you withdraw from a situation, you won't have anything to do with a certain situation or a certain person and you are angry um, and that anger is perpetuated in that situation, okay? So let's say you get tired of being angry all the time and it also has distorted your life in some way in terms of what, what or who you're avoiding all the time. You might start to ask yourself, what exactly is the function of my anger? And by the function of my anger, I'm asking, what's the function of my um, angry action, my avoidance? What's the function of my associated thoughts, the uh, retaliation thoughts, revenge thoughts, and, uh, and cold feelings, cold, cold sense of self, and, uh, and various other things that go on the body? What is the function of that? And then you think back, so you have to get to the, back to the origin of how did this come about? Because once an emotion gets going like that, there's an original function of the emotion, but pay attention to this because it's kind of interesting. Once it gets going, it can, to a fair degree, perpetuate itself. Um, if you keep saying things to yourself like, you know, that person's a jerk, or that person really ripped me off, or I'm never going to see that person again. I'm not going to do anything that helps that person out. I'm going to stay away. Um, you know, and then you act on those thoughts, and then those thoughts keep you from recognizing anything new or different. So it just perpetuates that you're angry. And nothing challenges your anger. No real life experience challenges your anger. And also, you can even perpetuate your anger because your behavior is prompting behavior in somebody else transactionally, which is then prompting emotions back in you. And so it can go on and on like that. So it's sometimes in figuring out the function of your emotion, you kind of have to go back to think, well, what is the function of staying away from that? Well, oh, and then you realize, you know what, that thing that person did really hurt me, really upset me, really embarrassed me or, or something like that. And you realize that the anger, the, one of the function, the primary original function of the anger was to get that 
person away and to get away from your emotion of embarrassment because that was really a bad emotion to have. Really didn't, you hated that. And so now you, you, you express anger and you uh, live with anger and you act out of anger. And actually the function was to take you away from embarrassment and hurt. And if you realize that, that that's what's happening, then you can ask yourself, do I really need to keep being this angry in order to um, uh, cope with my embarrassment? And you might find you don't need to and that the anger has outlived its usefulness and that it's only it's sort of now as Linehan has put it many times it's interesting to say that emotions tend to love themselves they perpetuate themselves because an emotion perpetuates certain thoughts and certain actions that then uh, refire the same emotion again and so uh, they tend to go and it's amazing that they ever end but one way to get out of bad emotions or to at least to consider them or get perspective is to ask yourself what the function and the original function is. What's the function now of an emotion? Okay. And maybe you find that you're, that you are, um, excessively sad and, so, and you keep being sad about something that happened a while ago, but it keeps happening. And once again, your sadness brings up thoughts of why you were sad and then it brings up um, emotions of sadness and then actions that are associated with sadness and then that keeps perpetuating sadness sadness tends to love itself and so there you go and uh, and you might stop and ask yourself wait a minute what was the original I mean I understand the original function of the sadness was probably when something painful happened and the sadness went along with me kind of pulling away from ordinary activity and then, um, and then uh, curling up in a ball or lying down somewhere, and etc. And that once that happened, you know, it, it 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 made me feel a little better, a little more comforted. And maybe it also elicited things coming from uh, another person, some kind of support that came from another person. And so maybe it functions to uh, elicit uh, support or comfort from other people. So. Um, when you and you start asking now what's the point of my sadness now you might find that the current function of the ongoing sadness is to keep is that it's reinforced by uh, people that are very comforting um, and that keep paying attention to you sorry about all the noisy dogs uh, somebody parked outside that wish they'd go away <laughs> I'm having emotions now um, so functions um so in some i guess um emotions carry information and if we can pay attention and listen to the information they carry about the original function of the emotion and then the current function we might be able to uh, give some thought to how we can accomplish the same function without having to rely on that particular emotion okay so the next thing in the manual in the skills is another really valuable thing. Again, it's not an act, these I wouldn't call these actual action skills themselves. These are ways to understand which set the stage. But um, this is this one is uh, to ask yourself when you're stuck in an emotion, um, why am I stuck in this emotion? Why can I not move on? Why can't I regulate this thing and let it be temporary the way I know that all emotions are instead I'm, I'm totally stuck in it. 
And so Linehan has listed several ways to understand that. And each of these ways gives rise to a direction you could then take if you, if you think that's what you're stuck with. So that, for instance, um, one is your biology, that biological factors can make it hard to regulate your emotion. If you have, I, you, those of you who have major depression or bipolar disorder or a severe anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, you have biology that is just flowing in these situations and that really makes it hard to regulate any particular immediate emotion because you're overtaken by the by the biology of that. And if so, it's helpful to know that. Um, sometimes it's just could, could be the biology of being exhausted or being worn out or being burned out. And then it's really hard to uh, to regulate any particular emotion that comes up because you're just biologically wired. And then that is a problem that needs to be attended to. Like, for instance, I find that people who have major depressive disorder on top of uh, a grief process when they've lost somebody and normal grieving is not going on. Letting go is not going on. The pain, the sadness, the crying, um, the missing the person is not going on. Why? Because actually it's, it's been arrested uh, under the pressure of a biologically driven major depression. And then it makes it hard to grieve. And sometimes someone can only begin to grieve after their depression uh, as such has uh, given way to some degree. Another factor that you might find in yourself if you aren't able to um, to regulate your emotion is that actually maybe you've never learned how. I know that sounds sort of simple-minded, um, and maybe you think you know how, but actually were you exposed to models of people, your parents, people around you when you're growing up, that um, really indicated how you can regulate anger without uh, taking a black and white stance about it how you can regulate uh, embarrassment or shame, uh, letting yourself feeling it, letting yourself express it, rather than just shutting it down because it's intolerable. Um, did anyone ever talk to you about it? Um, sometimes when I've taught these in a group, I've asked people as an assignment to go back and, 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 and think of what it was like at the dinner table in their families. <clears throat> And if a certain type of emotions came up, how would they be responded to there? Because a lot of learning goes on. I mean, not just at dinner, but in, in just as one example, but in a home environment. And maybe you didn't learn. Maybe it wasn't modeled. Maybe it wasn't talked. Maybe it was never discussed. And so actually you don't know what to do when you uh, have a complicated or an intense emotion of a certain kind. Uh, and then you need to learn. Uh, and there's lots of uh, ways to learn, I mean, such as what we're doing now. Then there's another category of things that can interfere with regulating emotions, which is that the emotion that you wish, the emotion or emotional behavior that you wish you could move on from or regulate or modulate better is actually being reinforced by your environment. Um, let's say, for instance, you feel really sad and you're um, feeling hurt. Um, and you wish you didn't feel so sad and hurt, but actually if you pay close attention to what your environment reinforces, you might find that you're in an environment that treats you better when you're sad, treats you better when you're down, when you're hurt, when you're a little depressed. Then it, it sort of turns on some things in the environment of people being kinder 
or more encouraging or more uh, supportive. And so um, much as that sounds pretty good, actually, if that's differentially applied to you when you're in that state of mind, then you're more likely to keep being in that state of mind. And maybe when you enter new environmental situations, thinking the same thing will happen, and maybe sometimes it will, and say maybe uh, sometimes uh, it won't. There are some circumstances in social groupings, so it's like, you know, friends, especially as you're growing up, where you ever notice some somebody comes to play the role of the person who gets angry or the person who gets sad or hurt or the person who's so funny. They're like the clown of the group. Um, things like that, that, that just the way groups function, but people start to be reinforced within a group for playing a certain emotional role. And then um, the group almost uh, counts on the person to show up with that emotion and then in that sense reinforces it. You know, some, some environments might reinforce a person for anger uh, or for uh, penitence, you know, guilt, shame. Um, and this can be make it very hard to get out of. And if you see that, you can start to um, try to uh, make decisions and take, take directions that counter this kind of external reinforcement of a particular emotion, even to just try out other emotions um, in a group and see how that goes. The next one, next category of things that make it hard to regulate emotions is moodiness. What Linehan calls moodiness, and I, I think, you know, what you want to understand here is that uh, emotions flicker on and flicker off. They come and go all day long. The more you pay attention to them, the more you see how many there are and how much they are actually steering the boat. Um, but moods are broader, more enduring experiences. I'm in a bad mood, and you might be in a bad mood all day, and it's a mood where you don't want to get up or you don't want to go to work or you don't want to go to school and you don't want anyone to get you out of that mood. You're just stuck in that mood. And, and that current mood is controlling what you do rather than having what you do and how you behave be controlled by what your goals are that day or what your wise mind tells you to do. Harkening back to a much earlier podcast, um, you know, that you're stuck in a certain um, mood. I, I can remember being stuck in, I'd get in bad moods in the past. It doesn't happen so much anymore, but uh, for many years, a weekend would come. And I think the lack of structure for me in those days was such that I would um, get in a bad mood and I, I'd just feel like, you know, unhappy. And I would just go about doing whatever I needed to do, but I'd be in a crummy mood. And my wife would notice I was in a crummy mood. And she'd say, why don't you go hit golf balls? Because I always get in a good mood when I hit golf balls. I'd say, I don't want to go hit the golf balls. I mean, I was being like a pill because uh, that actually might have made a difference. It might have been a wise mind activity. It might have been a smart thing to do. Just going to a driving range to hit golf balls. Uh sort of like a mindfulness practice for me and would just remove me from everything else and I usually would just sort of relax and um, but then I wouldn't want to uh, then I'd fight doing actually what's smart um, so moodiness can take over and make it hard to do what you need to do to regulate your emotion another category is emotional overload where you've just gotten to such a point you've just been so overstressed by too many stressors in a row too many losses in a row, 
too much things you have to do, being overloaded by things, overwhelmed by things. And that state uh, makes it that all it takes is one more thing, one more emotional event, and you're just done. I mean, you just can't take it, one more event. One more thing happens and it's done, and you just want to stay away from things. But you might also be lonely and not want to stay away from things. And so you get to that level of arousal and you reach what is uh, is called, and we've covered it once before in this whole thing, uh, called a skills breakdown point where most skills are not going to work. Most emotion regulation skills, most interpersonal skills, most mindfulness skills, they aren't just going to work at this point because you are absolutely on overload. And the only thing that's going to be helpful maybe at, at this point is uh, time and space uh, and respect and validation. It's that time, you know, that with the uh, guy that was uh, the horse whisperer. Now, though there's lots of horse whisperers, but the documentary about the man, uh, Buck, somebody who was a horse whisperer, and how it just what stuck with me from that is that um, one of the best ways to tame or help a wild stallion, a wild horse, a dangerous wild horse that's just overloaded with fight and flight responses and has been reinforced for that, maybe has been brutalized. And the way to help, one way to help that horse is to just put them in a much larger corral, give them more room to run around and, and allow time and actually and treat the horse with unbelievable just respect, sensitivity and kindness. And that all by itself starts to get things back down. Also, we've been over other ways to, to, to deal with extremely high emotional arousal in the previous module I talked about. When we talked about the, the skills for uh, of using a cold temperature on your face and using intense exercise and using uh, paced breathing and uh, progressive muscle relaxation and the combination of these things um, to help get 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 yourself out of an overload, but that can definitely stop you in your tracks uh, doing almost anything to be reasonable to help you. And the final one of these uh, six things, all of which you'll find in the skills manual. I think the ideal way to be listening to my podcast is probably to be looking at the manual on the pages that, I, that I'm referring to, even though uh, I try to talk in a way that doesn't require that, um, is emotion myths, myths about emotions, um, beliefs about emotions that actually are not objectively accurate, but they do get in the way of being able to regulate emotions because of the way you think about your emotions. Maybe you have some some myths or some beliefs that having certain emotions or even all emotions is is a weak uh, is weak and is bad is kind of too vulnerable, and uh, so therefore you'll avoid emotions or avoid all emotional expression, and which does not help you learn to regulate them either. And another myth that extreme emotions are, are necessary that. You should be completely honest, and that means having deep, extreme emotions and express them. And uh, and if anything, it leads to kind of an amplification of what emotions are, rather than actually just being there with your emotions and tuning in and letting the emotions come and go. I just can't emphasize that enough. It really is such a um, brilliant, skillful, mindful approach. Um, and, and in the skills book, there's just a list of 21 different or 20 different myths about emotions. Things like, um, my emotions are who I am. 
You know, and then, of course, you're not allowed to have or express any emotions that you don't think are who you are, which is very limiting. You now think your emotions are you. Your emotions are your identity rather than you are you, whoever you are, and that you're a more complex being than that, and that emotions come and go in you of all kinds, uh, which is probably a healthier way to be. Um, and there's another one. It's inauthentic to try to change my emotions. Um, if I try to change them, no, my, my emotions are real and true and I shouldn't try to change them because if I feel my emotions, damn it, that's who I am right now and that's who I need to deal with and that's who the world needs to deal with. You know, again, it's a, it's a kind of a rigid thought. Most of these are very rigid ideas. All, all painful emotions are a result of a bad attitude. There's another rigid thought, a myth, um, which, you know, then means that you cannot just, uh, Get unstuck from your emotions and let them come and go. Next, now, here's the big one, and I'll spend the rest of the time today talking about this, and then we build from, build out from this. This is emotion regulation handout number five, if you went in the, in the book. And the reason I'm giving you the actual number is that there's no way I can depict this in uh, sequential description or discussion like I'm doing right now. You need to see the picture. Um, and the picture actually can be difficult for some people because there's a lot of content on one page in a bunch of boxes with a bunch of arrows. Um, but let me give you the, the flow of this. So what's, what's the point of this? Um, the point of this is that if you have um, a, a model uh, that you can picture, I, let's call it the big picture. If you have a concept um, about regulating emotions that has all on the page all the different elements or ingredients, you know, each of which has its own place in the picture, you know, and none of which are emotions in themselves. I mean, emotions are made up entirely of non-emotion elements. So emotions are made up of thoughts. They're made up of uh, brain changes. They're made up of uh, changes in your blood vessels. They're made up of, uh, of having an urge to do something. They're made up of a way of talking. So each of these, each of these many, many ingredients is, uh, is uh, there. And if you see them and you see them in relation to each other and you really get it and you get it into your head, you can start to see your own emotions more objectively as broken down, as deconstructed into these ingredients. And, it's, and to regulate the emotion is to regulate the ingredients. So you don't regulate fear per se, but you might regulate the urge that goes with fear or the breathing pattern that goes with fear or the uh, sensations that go with fear or the thoughts that go with fear. And by changing any one of those things or all of those things, you change fear. Um, so just, just begin to think uh, of emotions as a collection of responses, most of which are the body's responses. And it's that that, that then we give the uh, title of fear or a certain type of fear. Um, okay, so if we've got that now, so I want to I wanna talk to you about this, whether you're looking at a diagram or not, so I, you can kind of think of it this way. Think of an emotion as something that evolves from left to right. It's going chronologically into the future. 
And it might all happen in a matter of a quarter of a second, actually, in emotion. But it can be helpful from the point of view of just understanding it and laying out the ingredients to see it as going from left to right. And at the left, um, you're going to start uh, with the beginning of the process, even before the trigger comes along. You know, the trigger like the bear uh, or the bad comment that somebody makes to you. Um, so let's start at the left and say, before we even hit the thing that's going to hit us, um, we might be vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable. And we call everything that fits there vulnerability factors. And if we identify vulnerability factors that are active, these may be points of intervention. So what are they? They're the kind of things like crummy sleep. Got a crummy sleep or you're cranky, you got up on the wrong side of the bed, you're having a lower tolerance for things, you're in a bad mood, maybe you missed breakfast or maybe you had too much breakfast, maybe you had a bad encounter in the morning, maybe you forgot to take your medication in the morning or maybe you did take your medication but it always has certain side effects or maybe you're a little bit sick with something or you have allergies and you're slugging through the day or you're just overwhelmed by lots of events. So all of these things could contribute to a state of vulnerability and everything that flows from there it's just going to be a more emotionally vulnerable day. So it might not take as much to trigger you into a difficult emotion that you're going to want to regulate in some way. So, um, so the first thing to consider when you're looking back on why am I this way is did you start out the day this way? Were you already vulnerable in some ways? Um, because it might be that in the future you need to attend to those factors more than anything else just to remain resilient and then you can handle a lot more during the day. Now next, what comes next in this flow from left to right? Well, what you might call a prompting event. Some people prefer to call it a trigger because they're more familiar with that term. Um, but let's call it a prompting event for our purposes. So you're going along and then a prompting event pops into your life and it activates uh, an emotional response. All right, so um, maybe you uh, go to Thanksgiving and some family member says something to you that feels like an insult. And you don't even know if they meant it as an insult, but you felt it that. Okay, that's a prompting event. It's an emotional prompting event. And so now you're, you're hitting a prompting event and, uh, and you're instantaneously offended or you're angry or you're insulted, you're resentful maybe, and you, maybe that carries over into your time there and you wish you didn't have that and, and yet it did happen and the question is how can you regulate that? Um, and so when you're looking back at your uh, emotional experience and, and trying to get out of something, you might look to the prompting event and say, you know what? In the future, I'm going to have to anticipate that kind of prompting event with that kind of person or with that actual person and cope ahead, avoid that person or only be with that person with someone else there. I mean, I've been in with family situations where certain people don't want to be with a certain relative unless they're with somebody they're close to because that relative tends to say things that hurt their feelings a lot. And so then there's uh, that. So if you can think, okay, to regulate my emotion means to regulate the prompting event. You get it? The first one is to regulate that my emotion might require regulating some of these factors that render me vulnerable. To regulate my emotion requires regulating the prompting event. Is like doesn't mean you totally avoid prompting events, but sometimes you have a modified 
relationship to prompting events. Sometimes you anticipate the prompting events. Sometimes you just realize this prompting event's going to come and you're just sort of like my dentist would say, you know, this, this is, this prompting event is going to hurt, but, but it's not going to be that bad. And if you can get in a frame of mind like that, you might be able to just ride through some prompting events that you wouldn't have before. If you realize the prompting event is, is where the problem really began. But now let's say, um, you've got the next thing is uh, you've got now vulnerability factors. Now you've got the thing that comes at you called the prompting event. And now, um, now you sometimes have uh, coming immediately out of the prompting event, you attach a meaning to the prompting event. You interpret the prompting event. Oh my God, there's uncle so-and-so saying that again. That reminds me of so many instances. And right away you're thinking, you know, uncle so-and-so hates me. Now, maybe Uncle So-and-So doesn't hate you, but once you make that interpretation, a lot of the emotion that moves forward from there will follow from that interpretation. So-and-so hates me. Um, I'm not a very likable person. Um, I should never have been in this family. Um, My life is hopeless. Um, Every Thanksgiving in my life is going to be a bad one. All of these things come as thoughts, and once that thought is in your brain... um, you know, it has an influence, just like everything. And it, and things flow from that thought. Bad feelings flow, flow from that thought. A- actions flow from that thought. And sometimes things that flow from that thought keep re- refiring the same emotion again and again unless you challenge that in yourself. So now you've got uh, vulnerability factors. You've got a prompting event. And maybe you attach a meaning, an interpretation, a judgment to that prompting event. Um, now here's the other thing. Sometimes... Like, I would say that when I encountered the bear in the garage, there was clearly the prompting event. And there was clearly the emotional response of running back to the car. Um, And no doubt there were thoughts in my mind that came in there at some point in that process of, oh, my God, I could be attacked. Um, Something like that. And I could be dead. And so I've got that thought going. And the question, though, is that, I mean, not the question, but the point I want to make is that sometimes the emotion emerges so automatically from the prompting event that the thought plays actually a secondary role rather than a primary role. So you do have that thought, and that thought is consequential. In other words, it does have consequences. But actually, the thought isn't the thing that caused the problem. It was the uh, prompting event was so powerful or in the brain connected with something so powerfully that actually it almost bypasses the thought process and the thought process catches up afterwards. So now we've gotten to the vulnerability factor, the prompting event, the interpretation of the prompting event and the immediate emotional response to the prompting event. And sometimes the interpretation is driving the emotional response more and sometimes the emotional response is driven immediately by the encounter behaviorally with the prompting event. And the, uh, and the thought catches up. Um, and now there you are, you're having an emotional response. So all of those things are preliminary to the emotional response, realize. There's already a bunch of things you can do to start to re- realign yourself in relation to this uh, repetitive and painful emotional event is that you can do things about all the factors I've talked about so far. You can start to address and challenge and change or accept, but just be aware of your interpretations. 
and realize that they're interpretations. And maybe you're not going to be able to get them out of your head, but maybe you can see a little, soften them a little bit and say, you know what, I always have this thought. I notice I always have this thought that I'm a bad person. Huh, how curious. And that already reframes it a little bit. Um, and maybe you can realign yourself with the prompting event. And maybe you can get to where you can encounter that prompting event without having such a powerful emotional response. Now, I wouldn't want it to change if I'm encountering a bear in my garage. I want it always to be a powerful prompting event because I want to get the hell out of there, right? Oh, gosh, I'm noticing already the time has flown and it's already time to be um, done. And uh, so I want to wish all of you, anyone who's listening, which is usually probably very few on the day I do this. I think more people listen later. But if you are listening, heading into Thanksgiving, happy, happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you really can, no matter what's happening in your life right now, find things to be grateful for. It's in itself a good emotion regulation skill um, to be finding things like that, uh, especially when things don't feel good. And uh, I hope you have some joy in this period. And I'm going to be continuing next week with the next podcast, continuing this same topic. And when I'm done with the emotion regulation topic, I'm going to do this really cool one on interpersonal effectiveness. Okay, so be well. I'll talk to you again. Bye.